Good morning. How's everybody? Good? Well, I also want to thank you for your prayers this week uh, for the Vincent family. Started about a week and a half ago. Angie got a text from her mom on Wednesday morning, October 6th, said, your uncle is dead. Why that came by text, I have no idea. Um, But after a phone call, Angie learned that her uncle had been working uh, at 3 a.m. the night before, that uh, they were they were on the highway, pull over for a reason to uh, provide some help. He got out of the vehicle and he was struck by another vehicle. And um, you know, it's just amazing how how in a moment everything can change just like that. And so last Sunday after service, our family flew to Denver, and then uh, I officiated his funeral on Monday in Colorado, and then. Uh, officiated a funeral on Tuesday in Big Springs, Nebraska, which is where he's buried. And then Wednesday, we flew home. And we flew southwest, and we made it. So here we are. (laughs) Uh, But we felt a lot of emotion this week and a lot of sorrow. And uh, Todd had had um, just a big life and a big personality. And as one of his daughters said, it's left a big hole. In our hearts. And if you've ever lost somebody that you love, you know that it changes things. Things are never quite the same again. And I think that might be how, as we come to our passage, how Israel might have felt in the year that King Uzziah died. Isaiah records the death of King Uzziah in Isaiah chapter 6. We're in a series here at Hope on the book of Isaiah that we've subtitled, The God We Can Trust. And I really believe that this morning. Like the death of a loved one, the death of King Uzziah would have left a big hole in the heart of this nation. Uzziah became king at age 16. Do we have any 16-year-olds in the room today? Any teenagers? No. Can you imagine? Yes, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Kid at heart, right there. Uzziah becomes king at 16 years old. I mean, I was a youth pastor. I can hardly trust teenagers to be like the king of their own homework, you know, at 16. But Uzziah becomes king. He reigns for 52 years in the city of Jerusalem. That's over half a century. Imagine that. The Bible tells us that King Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He sought the Lord. I think if I would have become king at 16 years old, I probably would seek God too. But God gave King Uzziah this amazing promise, and we read in 2 Chronicles 26.5, it tells us that as long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God gave him success. Uzziah sought the Lord, God gave him success, and with the help of the Lord, Uzziah becomes one of the greatest most prosperous, most successful kings in the history of the nation of Judah. It was a high point in the life of that nation. But in 740 BC, King Uzziah dies and everything changes. A series of wicked kings follow and bring the nation to a place of moral and economic and political decline. In 745 B.C., all eyes turn to Assyria 
and to this brand new aggressive king who's ascended to the throne named Tiglath Pileser III. Had to practice that a few times this week. <laughs> Under the leadership of Tiglath Pileser III, Assyria will become one of the most expansive and crushing empires the world has ever seen. You'll hear a lot more about Assyria in the coming weeks. In the year King Uzziah died, nothing would be the same ever again. It also happened to be the very same year that God calls a prophet named Isaiah. Isaiah sees the Lord, and his life is never the same again. And I want to invite you today to come and to see God. Come have a vision of the Lord that will forever change your life. If you have your Bible, would you open it up with me to Isaiah chapter 6? We're in Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah receives a vision from God that opens up our spiritual eyes to see God as he truly is, to see ourselves as we really are, and see a grace that makes everything new. Check this out. Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8. Amazing story, familiar story. In the year that King Uzziah died... Isaiah says, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. What an amazing passage. Let's pray. God, you're an amazing God. You are more glorious than anything we can imagine. You are holy. And so I pray that today, as we look at your word, that you would remind us that we come and we stand on holy ground. Pray that you would open our spiritual eyes to see you for who you really are, to see ourselves for who we really are, and to see this grace can change our life and make everything new. We commit to you this morning. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so today I want to show you three life-changing components from Isaiah's vision of the Lord. And the first component of this life-changing vision is that Isaiah sees the Lord. We want to see God. And in this passage we do, we see God 
Isaiah, in this passage, Isaiah 6, he sees God and it absolutely is mind-blowing. He sees God in his majesty and glory. And I believe that Isaiah has written this down so that we too can come today and to have a life-changing vision of the Lord. A.W. Tozer once said, I love this quote, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind today when you think about God? A.W. Tozer would say that's one of the most important things about you. I know for me, it, 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 it drives whether I am living in fear or walking in faith. Whether I'm uh, comfortable in my Christianity or whether I'm passionately pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ. What comes into your mind today when you think about God? Isn't it amazing how many times we come and we worship on Sunday and we leave absolutely unimpressed with God? Or how often do we, do we live self-sufficient lives? Trusting in ourselves. I think it's because our vision of God is way too small. I'm sure Isaiah, he's been to the temple many times, probably had the law memorized, recited the Psalms every day, but on this day, Isaiah had a vision from God. It says, in the year King Uzziah died, God gives Isaiah a supernatural vision of the Lord. And some people wonder, did, was this a vision that happened in that earthly temple? Or could Isaiah have been peering up into the throne room of heaven itself? Whatever it was, Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. I want to invite you today to pause and consider the stunning nature of this God who's at the center of everything. Because if we will do this, God will become the center of everything for us. What comes to your mind when you think about God? Look at Isaiah's vision. Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 4. We'll walk through this together. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. So how about this? Everybody's wondering, what's going to happen? King Uzziah's dead. The throne is empty. And isn't it amazing at the same time, the same year, Isaiah sees the Lord seated on the throne? What a great encouragement for us today. Whatever's going on in your life this morning, God's still on the throne. And it's not a mini throne. It's not a teeny throne. His throne is high and exalted, which means that he has all authority and all rule and all power, period, end of sentence. I saw the Lord seated on the throne. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be confused. My life isn't out of control. My life is under his control. Last time I checked, the Lord was still on the throne. He is seated on a throne. Isaiah continues this vision and he begins to describe the glory emanating from the presence of the Lord. He says the train of his robe filled the temple. On July 29, 1981, 
child of the 80s right here. 750 million people around the world watched the wedding of Prince Charles and Lady Diana. I was only three years old, so I probably didn't really, wasn't paying much attention. Princess Diana's wedding gown cost $110,000 to make. It had 10,000 pearls on this dress, and the train was 25 feet long. After putting on the dress, Princess Diana met her father, and the two of them got into this lovely glass carriage. But the train of her gown was so long, they just put, kept putting the train into the coach, all 25 feet of it. The, the, the coach was so overflowing with the train of her gown that her and her father barely fit. Quite a sight. The logistics team forgot to plan for a 25-foot long train. Why such a long train? The longer the train, the greater the glory. Isaiah is in the temple. Imagine this huge room, 45 feet, floor to ceiling, and the train of the Lord's robe is filling the temple. So overflowing was the splendor of the glory of the presence of the king. Wow. And there are these seraphim. It gets even more glorious. Above him were the seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, so not to behold him. With two they covered their feet, with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Seraphs, these seraphs, which in Hebrew mean blazing ones, flaming ones. These seraphs are angelic beings that are literally in a state of spontaneous combustion. Because they are set ablaze by the power and the presence of the Lord. How many of you came to church today to be set ablaze by the power and the presence of the Lord? These seraphs have the privilege of beholding the glory of God 24-7. So much so that they are called the blazing ones, the burning ones. They're set ablaze by the presence of the Lord. That's how we want to live our lives. Set afire right, by the presence of God. And what did they sing? They sang, holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The Bible has a word for the awesome, stunning, overwhelming, glorious presence of the Lord. And it's the word holy. If you look at this, God's not just holy, one holy. No, no, no. He's not just holy, holy, two holies. The Bible describes God as Holy, holy, holy. What does this word holy mean? 
it means that God is set apart. He is other. He is not like us. He is holy. Holy is not just one of God's attributes. God's holiness is the essence of who he is. His holiness extends to every aspect of his character. That means he is holy in his love. He is holy in his power. He is holy in his presence. He is holy in his wrath. His holiness is, it's his all-encompassing holiness that sets him above and beyond anything that we have ever encountered in this world. What do you, what do you, what fills your mind when you think about God? Isaiah says, he's holy, he's holy, he's holy. The holiness of the Lord is so staggering. It says, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. If you and I could experience what Isaiah experienced, I think we'd have a hard time standing because the throne room was shaking. I think we'd have a hard time seeing because of the smoke, of the fire, of the presence of the Lord. I think we'd have a hard time hearing from the volume of the voices of the seraphs. I think we'd be like Isaiah, we'd be undone. We would be overwhelmed. We would be wrecked. Have you ever been struck by the holiness of God? Because if you have, your life would never be the same again. And you would say, I cannot be afraid of what the world fears anymore. I cannot value what the world values anymore. I will not seek what the world is seeking anymore. God must be supreme in my life because he is holy. Isaiah has a vision of God and it changes his life. That's the first component. Second component, we see God, we see ourselves. I think this is amazing. A really cool thing happens when we see God for who he truly is. It becomes a mirror that allows us to see ourselves as we really are. Look at Isaiah's immediate reaction here to the holiness of the Lord. Verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah sees himself in a way that he's never seen himself before. He sees the ugliness of his sin. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. The prophet Isaiah, he realizes he's doomed before the presence of an awesome and holy God. I heard a story this week about a a middle school in Oregon and they had a, a unique problem. A lot of the, the young ladies were starting to use lipstick, which wasn't a problem, but um, they would, the girls would go into the girls' bathroom, they'd put on the lipstick, and then they'd kiss the mirror. And at night, the, the custodian would come in, and he'd see lip prints all over the mirrors. And uh, it was very frustrating, and it was becoming a hassle to clean. Well, finally, the principal decided something has to be done. So the principal calls all the girls into the bathroom to meet with the custodian. 
And she begins telling them about how hard it is to clean the lipstick off the mirrors. And she asks the, the custodian there to, to maybe demonstrate how hard it is when, when the girls would kiss the mirror, how hard it would be for the custodian to clean that lipstick off the mirrors. And so she, she turns to the custodian and says, hey, would you demonstrate? And he takes the long-handled squeegee and he dips it in the toilet. <laughs> and he cleaned the mirror. There were no more lip prints on the mirror <laughs> after that. <clears throat> Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I think it was a wake-up call. You know, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm ruined. He's seeing his sin now in the mirror of God's holiness. He says, woe is me. Woe is me. Woe is a pronouncement of judgment. The Old Testament prophets would declare woe on those who dared to disobey God's word. We saw this a few weeks ago in Isaiah 114. Isaiah says, woe to a sinful nation. But isn't it interesting that here the prophet Isaiah sees himself in the mirror of God's holiness and he says, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm in danger. Only in seeing God for who he really is do we see ourselves for who we truly are. Without the knowledge of God's holiness, we truly don't understand the depth of our sin. I think, I was thinking about this week, sometimes we compare ourselves with others. And Isaiah could have done that. He could have looked around. We do. Oh, I'm not that bad compared with other people. I'm doing pretty good. Isaiah could have said that. But what if, instead of comparing ourselves with others, we began to compare ourselves against the standard of God's holiness? I think for us, just like Isaiah, we'd have a wake-up moment. Like, oh man, compared with the holiness of God, I'm ruined. I am unrighteous. I'm unholy. Apart from Christ, I'm separated from God. I am utterly doomed. It's the holiness of God that will always reveal our unholiness. And I just think today, maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe we need to see ourselves as we really are. I don't know what, what sin is coming up for you today. Maybe it's a, a battle with an addiction, like internet pornography. Maybe it's how you speak and the way that you speak to your family. Maybe it's, maybe it's an unwillingness to forgive someone who's hurt you in the past, or maybe it's a sinful choice you made a long time ago and the burden you still bear today. For me, it could just be an abdication of the love and the encouragement that I need to be giving to my family. Let's not be swindled into thinking that our sin isn't as sinful as it really is. I wish I could tell you today that I don't need this message, but I do. I need it very much so is I see God for who he truly is, I can't help but see myself 
for who I really am, unholy and in big, big trouble. Is anybody glad the vision doesn't end here? I'm pretty glad. <laughs> Isaiah sees God. He sees himself. Last one. I love this. He sees a grace that makes all things new. Take a look at what God does next. Verse 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. God's giving us a picture of his grace here. His grace comes to us like a burning, consuming, purifying coal from the fire of the altar. Kind of a crazy picture, isn't it? God sends this seraph, this blazing one, and not even the burning one can pick up the coal with the bare hands. God says, be sure to use the tongs. Kind of a scary sight here. I mean, imagine Isaiah. Not even the angel will touch this. So he takes the tongs and he pulls out a live coal from the fire and he presses it against Isaiah's lips. The very, the very place that Isaiah has identified as the expression of his uncleanness. And I can just kind of hear the sizzling of that blistering coal against Isaiah's lips. And then, verse 7, the seraph gives Isaiah the good news of the gospel. What's the good news of the gospel today? See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away for, away from, and your sin atoned for. Isn't that good news today? Our guilt can be taken away. Our sin atoned for. This burning coal, I believe, represents the purifying power of God's sacrifice for sins. And many sacrifices were made all through that Old Testament times at the altar there in the temple. But Jesus came as the ultimate sacrifice. He did what you and I could never do. He died on a cross. He paid for sin once and for all. And the purifying power of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that today we can be cleansed. We can be purified. We can be forgiven. We can be made new. That's the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. It changes our life. It sets us free. But for us to experience this life-changing transformation, the burning fire of that coal has to touch us at the problem of our sin. As long as the sacrifice of Jesus remains separate from us, we still haven't really been changed. We need that live coal to touch our life. How do we do that? How, how, do we, how are we cleansed? How are we forgiven? How are we transformed? Same way Isaiah was. It was a matter of trust. It's a matter of trusting the one who sits on the throne. And I want to invite you today, if you've never done so before, to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ right now.
The good news of the gospel is that God says in Isaiah 1.18, though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be made white as snow. He takes it all away. He sets us free. He gives us a new life in Christ. That's our hope today. It changes everything. Isaiah is never the same again. Just an example. This is amazing. Isaiah's sin is atoned for. And what happens next? Did you guys catch it? He hears the voice of the Lord for the very first time. I think that's significant. His sin is taken away and he is brought into a brand new relationship with God. He's hearing the Lord's voice. Before, he heard the seraphim. He heard the sound of the shaking. He heard all of those things. Now, he hears the Lord. And what is God saying to him? Verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he said, Here here am I. Send me. I'll go. I'll take this vision and I'll tell the world. Here I am, God. Send me. Isaiah saw the Lord. He was never the same again. And I want to invite you today to see God in all of his greatness and glory. If you'll do that today, if you'll see God for who he truly is, It'll help us to see ourselves for who we really are and to see this grace that makes all things new. It changed Isaiah. Isaiah, coming from this moment, coming from this experience, becomes one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. How about you? How could God change your life? How many lives at the end of your story will you have touched? I know one thing. Uncle Todd... At his funeral this week, he touched a lot of lives. He's a believer in Jesus, not perfectly. We heard person after person coming up and saying, this man impacted my life. There were guys who worked out in the oil fields coming up saying, I was living with my girlfriend, and Todd said, you need to get married. I got married. He came. He taught me how to be a man. He taught me how to work hard for my family, to love my wife. His daughter got up and said, my dad taught me about Jesus. He didn't do it perfectly, as none of us do, but he said, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. God, would you send us today He is holy. He sits on a throne. And he sends us out as as imperfect sinners to tell the world, everyone, the great things that he's done for us. Will you go? Will you say yes to the invitation today? Here am I, Lord. Send me. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this vision. We confess, Lord, that we, we need to, an Isaiah 6 vision, I think, just about every day. Because I know I forget who you are. I forget who I am. And uh, a lot of times that's just my pride, Lord. It's just me flattering myself. 
But today, God, you've shown us who you are. You're holy, you're awesome, you're beautiful, you're glorious, you're making all things new by your grace. And I thank you that we can come to church today, that we can hear words of forgiveness and acceptance and life change. And I pray that, that you would take that message and that it would work powerfully in our lives, that we would be people who live genuinely with our own sin, that we would live humbly before you and all of your holiness, and that we would go out to this world to share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you that someday we will be with you in glory and we will join all these angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. We look forward to that day and to that vision. But in the meantime, God, would you open our spiritual eyes to see you and to walk with you each and every day. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen.